Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Classic Vinyl Podcast. I am Justin, one of your hosts, and I'm here with my other host, Tyler. How are you doing today, Tyler? All hail the great Pete Townsend. You pointed at him, that's right. That's that. true. I pointed yeah. at him on the wall, so I appreciate you letting me know that. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting night, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, so we've we've got an interesting album to do tonight, and an album that needs no introduction because it's got a plenty of introduction it, itself. It does have plenty of introduction, <laughs> and this one was sent in to us by someone who wants to remain anonymous, but they are from Tempe, Arizona. So, okay. anonymous from Tempe, Arizona, we are going to review Moody Blues: Days of Future Past. Which, I actually have a lot of history with this album, but what I mean with this album, it probably means Nights in White Satin. Yeah. My father had this album, which I actually own mm-hmm. his copy of it now, oh. and it's fallen apart. And according to him and my mother, that's because I used to build houses with the records when I was younger and draw on them a lot. And a house of cards. I did something. I'm not you'd sure. Build, you'd use vinyl records. So this is like a monster house of cards. My mother said I would build garages. For your cars. Yeah, exactly. With the records, which is what one does, mm-hmm. right? As one does, yeah. So we are going to review the Moody Blues Days of Future Past today. And let me give you a little history about the Moody Blues. Mm-hmm. So they are an English rock band. They were formed in Birmingham, of course, in England in 1964. Mm-hmm. Now, their original lineup was Graham Edge, who's the drummer, and the funny thing about him is he's been the only continuous member through the whole band's history until he passed in 2021. Oh, really? Yeah. Denny Lane originally was on guitars and vocals, and Denny Lane famously was in Wings with Paul McCartney. And, of course, on Days of Future Past, Denny Lane is no longer with the band. Mike Pinder on keyboards, pianos, and vocals. Ray Thomas on flutes, percussion, piano, and vocals. Klein Warwick on bass and vocals. That's the original lineup in 1964. Now, the Moody Blues are really hard to explain Mm -hmm. as far as listening to them, and especially this album, but, you know, looking at some of their earlier albums, some of their later albums, even into the 80s when they had some success, I mean, they had very psychedelic songs early on, a lot of rock, a lot of pop, a lot of symphonic sounds like we hear on Mm -hmm. this, a lot of progressive-sounding songs. And they've influenced a lot of prog rock groups you know, later on that got a lot from their sound. So so the Moody Blues have had multiple lineups over the years. Uh, they've sold more than 70 million albums worldwide and a total of 18 platinum and gold records. As far as albums, they've released 16 studio albums, 8 live albums, 23 compilation albums. There again, more compilations mm-hmm. than actual albums. And they've released 36 singles that hit the charts. As far as their albums are concerned, in the U.S., they had 12 albums in the top 40 and 6 hit the top 20. They did have two albums hit number one here in the U.S., which was Seventh Sojourn and Long Distance Voyager, which I've never heard either of those albums. In the U.K., they also had 12 albums in the top 40, but they had eight in the top 20. And they actually had three albums in the U.K. reach number one on The Threshold of a Dream, A Question of Balance. Every good boy deserves favor. And of course, favor with it. Oh, you are. Yeah. It's always striking to me to see the comparison between how well they did on this side of the pond versus that side. Yeah. And we don't get that with all bands, but most of these bands that come out of Britain Mm -hmm. in the 60s and stuff. Yeah. It is kind of cool to see, just kind of see the difference of how they hit because a lot of, a lot of times these bands that come out of Britain do better in the U.S. Yeah. Enough. So this band seems like it did equally well in both the uk and the united states it was different albums that struck a chord or different songs that struck a chord with the americans 
versus the the Brits. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, but this you're right. These these guys do as far as sales and things is mm-hmm. is pretty even up. Yeah, but for different reasons, for different songs, different albums, right? Yeah, kind of yeah. strange. They did have uh, their first number one single in the UK was a song called Go Now. It was released in 1964, and that actually ended up being their only number one hit in the UK. But they did have 13 other singles that were in the top 100. Now, Nights in White Satin, that's off the album we're doing today, was their first number one in the U.S., but their song Question also hit number one in the U.S., they had 21 singles here in the U.S. that were in the top 100. Like I was saying earlier, they did kind of have mild success in the 80s. They had uh, Your Wildest Dreams and I Know You're Out There Somewhere, a couple mm-hmm. popular songs from the 80s. And they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2018, which many people thought was kind of late because there was quite a few bands that were inducted yeah. before them. You know, we've we've talked about it before. I think the Moody Blues are another one of those bands. Even, even though you'll hear two or three of their songs still hit radio play, they're, they're kind of a band that's, in a way, maybe not been shown their just due as time has went by. It's hard to say. I mean, I'm not a huge Moody Blues fan. I do like their hits. Mm-hmm. And... Like I said, I've, I'm very familiar with this album as far as a couple singles off of it, but it's been a long time since I've sat down and listened to the album, and we'll get into that. And once again, this is the first time I've listened to this whole album. I heard a couple of songs, but yeah, this is my first Obviously, time. Tuesday Afternoon and Nights yeah. in White Satin are the two that you hear on the radio, and mm-hmm. I don't think the other ones have ever been played on the radio, but... No, nope, they were new to me, all of them. Yeah, so do you want to get to the album review? Let's do it. And now it's time for the album review. Okay, Anonymous in Tempe, Arizona would like us to review Moody Blues, Days of Future Past. This is really one of the first times I've sat down and listened to this album as a whole. And like you just stated, it's pretty much the first time you listen to the album as a whole. Oh, oh yeah. I've heard uh, radio play of um, Tuesday Afternoon, Nights in White Satin. I used to play frequently. It's got a dear place in my heart. We'll talk about that when we get to the song. So Days of Future Past is the second studio album released by the Moody Blues. It was released in November of 67 by Dream Records in the UK, and it wasn't released until March of 1968 in the US, so it was quite delayed here, and I'm not sure why. It was recorded at Decca Studios in West Hampstead, London, in England. It was produced by Tony Clark, who had uh, produced the Four Tops, Blue Jays, Nicky Hopkins, Justin Hayward, Solo, Career, Mm -hmm. one of the main singers on this album. So let me give you the lineup of the Moody Blues on this album. You have Justin Hayward on vocals, guitars, and piano. John Lodge on bass and vocals. Mike Pinder on the Mellotron, piano, gong, and vocals. Ray Thomas on flutes, percussion, piano, vocals. Graham Edge on drums, percussion, and vocals. And then, of course, overwhelmingly taken over on this album by the London Festival Orchestra mm-hmm. with Peter Knight conducting. I'll say it is. And uh, and you will notice when I said Justin Hayward on guitars, there's very, very few guitars in this album. Yeah, he uh, he sat most of it down, I think, ex- except for he sang quite a bit. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of piano. But I, I think that um, the Mike Pinder, well, boy, does he shine in this one. He even gets the final word. He plays that gong that ends out the whole album. Yes, he does. So this album is really considered to be one of the earliest examples of progressive rock. I don't know if I really consider it that way. This is so orchestra-driven that, I mean, a couple of songs, I guess, are progressive. I think more the theory of the album is progressive than anything. This feels like a concept album. Yeah, Yeah. and I, I think it really is because you're, 
you've got the orchestration mixed with somewhat of rock and roll. There's very little in this, but it's yeah. explaining the day from morning to night of an average man, right? Sure. And going through everything. It's almost a rock opera type of thing, just without mm-hmm. the rock. Yeah, exactly. It's very much a, an evening at the symphony we've just spent. There are some exceptions to that. But there there are a few exceptions. Yeah, and a lot of people consider this album to be very psychedelic sounding and that pop and rock. I don't really catch much psychedelic psychedelia in it uh just one song really is uh psychedelic and yeah and, it, and it's kind of questionable too as far I, as i'm concerned i think it was pretty in my face but yeah I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll also point out that yeah we'll get there. to that yeah so this album reached number three in the u.s but only number 27 in the uk which you know and i wonder if part of that had to do with it was such a late release in the u.s that mm-hmm. you know some of its steam had already picked up and that could be they had released nights in white satin as a single and so and also uh what were they up against in the uk yeah, yeah. well they released at the same time basically the same time as mm-hmm. sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band yeah. had been released and so mm-hmm. just a couple months later so kind of interesting but they did have two singles off the album Nights in White Satin, which reached number one in the U.S., number nine in the U.K., and then they had Tuesday Afternoon, which reached number 24 in the U.S., number 12 in Canada. Probably the only two songs we hear off this album Mm -hmm. being played, and they still are played on classic rock radio to this day. Uh, They're they're the two uh, songs on the album that are classic rock. Yeah, basically. Little tidbit about this album is the second and final album to be released in the U.S. in both stereo and mono. And I guess the mono copy of the vinyl is pretty rare. So if you get a chance to find one of those, pick it up. It's worth some money. And this album was not originally well-liked by the critics. It was kind of a far departure from rock music. And and we'll certainly get into that, you know. But (laughs) it has received acclaim since then. And I I think that is due in certain areas of it and maybe not so much in others. This is a lot like playing um, Barney's sing-along favorites to simon cowell that's <laughs> that's not really his cup of tea <laughs> yeah so as far as the album it was certified platinum by the riaa in the usa and it actually wasn't released on cd for the first time until its 50th anniversary in 2017 and it obviously had a bunch of alternate versions and things like that and i have wow. i have not heard that version of it so uh, the cover is kind of interesting. It was designed by a guy named David Anstey. The band spoke to David, apparently in a pub, and told them about their songs and what they were doing with the orchestra. And he basically knocked out the album cover picture right yeah. pretty quick after that. And it's it's really surreal. The, the album cover is very psychedelic. That, that's what I was going to yeah. say. The most, <laughs> the most psychedelic thing on the album is the album cover. And it, it's kind of interesting. It's got all these different little photos and... Mm-hmm. Uh, it, colors it, flowing around and it's essentially like a four quadrant of the four seasons kind of picture but i think it's supposed to be the four sections of your day right yeah and it like blends together a whole bunch of different things like the phases of the moon are in there and uh, you know some different typical things that you would see in a park like yeah trees, it's, it's, rocks, it's really kind of hard to explain so if you want to yeah. see the album cover go google it because mm-hmm. it's interesting and one thing about the album cover is they were actually different in the uk and the u.s basically on the top and okay. w- where they released the album later in the u.s they actually put a little box at the top right hand corner stating that this album includes knights in white satin you know because mm-hmm. at the time knights in white satin had become a hit and so 
We know what you guys like. <laughs> yeah, so they were basically the same album covers, just had a little bit different on the top. Do you want to get to the album? Yep, let's spin it. Side one. Okay, so side one, song one. It begins with a song called The Day Begins. The Day Begins. That's a cute name for it. This song is broken down in two sections. The The Day Begins, which that section was written by Peter Knight, and it's completely instrumental. And then Morning Glory, which was written by Graham Edge, which is basically instrumental with some spoken word to it. Yeah, some, like, poetry. Yeah. and Beatnik poetry. Yeah, and I had written that it's sang by Mike Pender, but it's not sang by Mike Pender. He just <laughs> simply speaks... You know, the, he does the re- recitation. Yeah, and it's it's basically an overture to the album. You know, with a poetry ending at the mm-hmm. end of it, and the poetry, if you have heard "Nights in White Satin," kind of resembles that because it does it does start with "Cold Hearted Orb that Rules mm-hmm. the Night." Kind of goes into that whole thing, like at the end of "Nights in White Satin," but it has a little yeah. bit some different verses to it. And this song, all in all, is about six minutes in length. That sounds like the poetry in this sounds a lot like something that you'd get out of uh, Alice in Wonderland or Through the Looking Glass. It, it's kind of strange. Now, I, I'd i like to know what you think of this. I think mm-hmm. this is actually a good opening to the album. I like yeah. the way they put this as the overture on the album. I like the way the poetry spoken kind of. Yeah. kicks you back to nights in white satin and it, it plays out like an overture you, you hear different parts of the songs that you're going to hear throughout the album exactly as part of it so it really is an overture this is this is an, an evening at the symphony this uh this album well, yeah and and for me the first note i wrote you know you got the orchestral beginning and to me, it feels like yeah. an old-time movie or a Disney movie or something. Yeah, but the opening, the very opening, is some sort of reverberation. It's like some sort of droning or humming or buzzing, and then it opens up to the orchestra and the symphony. Yeah, and it and I think it's a good way to open the album. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say that for what the... Looking at this as a concept album, saying, look, we're going to try and mesh two very different styles of music together symphony classical symphony and rock and roll does this say it i i don't know i like the concept but this is a very good overture for the album i think the overture is good i think if that's what they were going for to mesh rock and roll with orchestra i don't think they did a very good job of it no it sounds more like exception of a couple songs it sounds more like something that they would do off of a dare. Yeah, it's kind of strange. And, you know, I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself, mm-hmm. but I think the second side of the album is much stronger than the first. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah, the, the first album or the first song on the mm-hmm. album is a good opening. Yeah. You know, it kind of tells you what you're going to get. It is not rock and roll. <laughs> it, it's, there's no rock and roll. There's no. no, there's no, you're not hearing any drums. You're not hearing any yeah. bass or guitar or anything like that. So it yeah. is, like you said, right on the head. It's a night at the symphony. Mm-hmm. And it's very much like instrumental. There's hardly any lyric at all. The poetry is at the very end. So for the most part, this overture uh, feels like you're going to have Cecil B. DeMille reading the poetry. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of strange in that way. So that moves us on to the second song, which is Dawn. Dawn is a feeling. Now, this song was written by Mike Pinder, and it's sang by Justin Hayward and Mike Pinder. This is, I guess the one thing about this song is it's a departure from standard Moody Blues tunes. Is Generally, they would have the songwriter sing the vocal, but they didn't on this one. You know, it was written by Mike Pinder and obviously sang by Justin Hayward. This is supposedly an uplifting anthem celebrating the 
feeling of power and a new start, especially to your day. For me, I'm going to go right into it. This is just another continuation of the orchestra. And I don't have anything against orchestration, but it's not used well in this as far as a mix with rock and roll. This is yeah. just straight orchestration. It, it is. It's straight orchestra, straight instruments. Um and symphony yeah i've i've got next to several of these first opening songs rock and roll question mark yeah and i mean it, it's got some good imagery in the lyrics you know mm-hmm. these kind of good strings opening it's a weird stereotypical you know beginning of the day classical yeah but, and i do like justin hayward singing and i don't know if that's because mm-hmm. he's the main vocalist on knights and white satin and the song i've been most familiar with yeah. so i do i do enjoy his voice you know and mm-hmm. The lyrics, you know, have a lot of imagery to them, you know, like this day will last a thousand years if you want it to. I mean, this is the beginning of the day. You've got a barely audible bass in this, some piano, but this is pretty much straight orchestration. And this really isn't it for me. No, but this is the kind of song that you, it's got the the beat, the, uh, the message. What this has is it tells you what you want to hear on your way into the office where you're just looking for a really good day to come your way and you're going to crush the crap out of it or hit all the sales bro goals that you've got. (laughs) It's a very upbeat. Inspirational is not the word that I'm looking for. That's what it's trying to be, I think, is uh, inspiring to start your day off well on the right foot. Well, and I'm no siphonic expert if that's a word mm-hmm. but i guess they do a good job of putting that together and i don't mind yeah. listening to it mm-hmm. but for me i guess i guess the thing that's kind of tough for me is when i sit down to listen to what's supposedly be a rock and roll or a pop mm-hmm. record or something this yeah. is i don't mind hearing this as the overture i don't mind hearing it mixed in well mm-hmm. and this is not a mixed song this is straight symphony yeah it is it's straight symphony there's no rock and roll in this yeah so let's move on to the next one so now we go from dawn to morning the morning another morning yeah, we've switched from the strings to a flute yes a we week. have so this one's written and sang by ray thomas and it's describing kids playing you know they're out playing first thing in the morning but it's basically from the eyes of the adult narrator right and talks about time standing still for children forever because you remember when you were a kid how everything lasted forever don't you remember how long the summers were and how long the days were and you just play and have a great time now you say flute but i know this mike pinder plays the mellotron on here so i think maybe that it uh, that intro is actually a mellotron and not a flute, but it, it does sound like a flute. But then it's also got that like accordion thing that gives it kind of that uh, jaunty uh, rhythm that makes it sound like you're coming down from the Alps. So what what are your thoughts on this song? Another evening at the symphony. Uh, wh- one thing I did like, I like the, the line, yesterday's dreams are tomorrow's size. I thought that was a, a very poetic thing. And I didn't get a lot of the poetry in this album so for for that line i it just seemed like really good illustration that uh, yesterday's dreams are tomorrow's size i thought you know as far as this being the third song on the album it does kind of have a marching sound on the intro mm-hmm. in the orchestration this song and you'll hear me say this again but ray thomas singing this he really reminds me of he sounds like arthur lee from love and this song has a section of it that sounds like a love song and i I did write on here as my notes this is the first real vocals on the album or on the song three and they're okay they're not great i i thought it sounded like a love song but it wasn't as good as a love song it just 
it was okay, but once again, Night at the Symphony, a little too much for me on this song, and not a good enough mix. I like the the vocals on the band members. Um, for I, I I think it's really it's a really good concept to have whoever wrote the song and sing the vocals. And this band, I think that they're fairly competent vocal artists. Uh, well, yeah, singers. they they have more than they can sing pretty well. Yeah, they have them. one more than one lead vocal. I mean, all these yeah. guys could sing. Like mm-hmm. I said, I really like Justin Hayward. I just like the tone in his voice and things. Yeah. But yeah, most of them that sing can sing well. Yeah, and I and I do like the spoken word as mm-hmm. well. I mean, it it sounds good. You know, yeah. it's just this is another symphonic song and definitely not my favorite. But that moves us on to song four, lunch break. Peak the, hour. The Hustle Bustle song. Yeah, there yeah. you go. So this one was written and sang by John Lodge. Now, the intro is played by Peter Knight and the London Festival Orchestra once again. This one does have a little bit of rock and roll sound into it. About halfway through the song, it kicks into it. Finally. Yes, but it does have <laughs> some more Graham Edge poetry in it as well. Mm-hmm. And I wrote some notes on this one, but let me let me hear what you think of it first. I've got some notes on this one. I enjoyed this song. It was a cornucopia of sounds is what I've written down here in my notes. This is a very busy song. There's a lot going on, a lot of different instruments. Um, and then it goes to the second half, and I have to wonder, is this the same song? Because it sounds entirely different. And that's where we get, for the very first time, on this album, a rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, it's the last. I mean, it's only song four, but it is the last song yeah. on side one. Mm-hmm. And halfway through the song, it does kick into a rock song. And, and it sounds like the Beatles. It's got a decent bass line in it. It's got yeah. a decent keyboard and organ in the song. The drums aren't bad. And I even heard a little bit of guitar in the breakdown at the end. And so this song was not bad. I did think that. John Lodge, I think out of all the vocalists, I think he's probably the weakest vocalist on this. I could agree with that. But it was good to hear because when I first started, one of my first notes was more symphonic sounds, you know, more movie music. It kind of sounds like background movie music or something, you know, it just Mm -hmm. seemed like another carry on. It has good imagery in the lyrics once again because we're explaining the day and things like that. But I did appreciate the second half of the song. I just... I probably would have preferred hearing uh, Justin Hayward or Mike Pender sing on it, but it was a good departure that we finally, when we get to the last song on side one, we get a little rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, it only took him until the second half of the last song on the first side. Yeah, but you're right. It wasn't yeah. a good mix either. It's mm-hmm. not like they mixed symphony with rock and roll. It went no. from that orchestration straight mm-hmm. to a rock and roll song like it yeah. was a two-part song. Yeah, it really felt like a two-part song. Yeah, very interesting. So do you want to get to side two of the album? Let's flip it over. Side two. Okay, so side two, we're finally to the afternoon midday. And this is another song that's made up of two pieces. Uh, Forever Afternoon is what it was called, and it was written and sang by Justin Hayward, but the single was actually known as Tuesday Afternoon, and that's the single you would know if you've heard it on the radio. And then the second part was called Evening, Time to Get Away, and that one was written and sang by John Lodge. So you've got this one song, The Afternoon, by two pieces. This one's almost eight minutes in length total, and obviously the single is referred to as Tuesday Afternoon. Sometimes you hear just the first part. Sometimes the radio plays all of it. I enjoy this song. Tuesday Afternoon. I think he did better than you. He did. 
So this single was written by Justin Hayward, apparently spent a Tuesday afternoon in a park in England, and these are the lyrics that came to him. So there's been quite a few cover versions of this song, which this is the first song on the album that you actually could cover because it's the first real song. What are your thoughts on this? I had to look up where Wipeyat uh, Park in England is. That, that's the, the park. It's just a little bit south of Gloucester, uh, northwest of London. But I wrote down, this song finally fits the mixing of symphony with rock and roll. So this is the first song on the album where I find what they're trying to do gets pulled off decently well. And uh, it uh, for being a two-part song, it fits decently together they uh the parts mesh well it, it's easy listening i enjoyed it it was nice on the ears yeah and this has got a good recognizable intro if you've heard any classic rock radio in the last mm-hmm. 30 years once again i love the vocal because i i really have kind of pulled towards justin hayward's vocals it's got good yeah. imagery in the lyrics he did a good job with that it's got a good bass line, which I really like. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it does. It's pretty much the first one you've heard. There was a sample of a bass line in an earlier song, but this is the first one with a good rock and roll bass, bass line. The drums are a little tinny and far away sounding, but mm-hmm. they're okay because it's, yeah. it's good to hear them. And there's still not much guitar in this song, though, because you've got the good mix of symphony. But I do like the way they integrate the orchestration into this with the rock and roll. This is done perfectly. Mm -hmm. And I know I said on the previous song, Lunch Break, that I don't really care for John Lodge's singing, but he sings the second part of this song, Evening, Time Mm -hmm. to Get Away, and I really actually like it in that. It's got a good vocal, a good feeling. I just like the whole song, and it's even got a tiny bit of guitar at the end. It's just this was a perfect example of what I think this whole album could have and should have been, in my Mm -hmm. opinion. Because you've only got really two songs that did this and did it well. And they're the two songs we still hear to this day. And the symphony really dominates this whole album. Especially side one. Yeah. I think the way they use it in this, though, is perfect. Because oh, yeah. you're, you're showcasing rock and roll and you're showcasing the, the symphonic side of things. Yeah. And it, it's such a good mix because you don't just get, at least for me, I don't get washed up in thinking of oh, this is like some kind of Disney movie thing going on. And that's mm-hmm. what it feels like. Oh, and there's some spoken word it no it's a nice mesh of rock and roll with the classical instruments yeah it is so that moves us to the next song now we're all the way to evening and if you've been waiting for percussion here it is so evening (laughs) is another song that's broken down in two sections written by two different artists so the first section is the sunset and that was written and sang by mike pinder and the second is twilight time it's written and sang by ray thomas a lot of people consider this the most psychedelic song on the album. Mm-hmm. I don't really see it that way. It, do, it doesn't seem psychedelic to me, and I, I don't know if that's because the the orchestration really just overpowers that, and I, I don't see orchestration as being psychedelic. This song runs a little over six minutes in length. What are your thoughts on this one? This is the one song where, well, first of all, my first thought is, like I said, if you've been waiting for percussion and you wanted to hear drums, this is the the song where you're going to hear it. Because it's, it's got like this Middle Eastern or African feeling to it with the, the kind of drums that they're playing. Very heavy percussion in the first half. And, that, and it's funny you wrote Middle yeah. Eastern or African because I wrote, this is an Indian feeling song. Yeah. And it, it did seem that way to me. Is it kind of had that Indian music yeah. feeling. 
Mm-hmm. It's got definitely got some sort of like Asian African influence. This is like I said, this is the song that is psychedelic if there is a psychedelic song on here because I see where normal singing ends up drowning into this weird noise and, and that's the psychedelics for me is that the second half that twilight time is where you get the strong psychedelics and um let's see he says what night is coming and it's going to get weird if you're on acid is, is the feeling that I get it's a weird song, and it's it's a song I don't want to be high or tripping on acid while I'm listening to it. Yeah, well, I mean, this It'll is... It'll give me nightmares. This is, of course, back to heavy orchestration, and yeah. the vocal kicks in with Mike Pender, and it's kind of an echoey vocal, and that's when you get kind of the Indian feeling. Then you hear all those bongos and percussions mm-hmm. and whatever they are, you know, and maybe that's what give it the Indian yeah. feeling. I know a lot of people have explained this as psychedelic, as, as you just did. I don't really find it that way maybe that's just because of the orchestration and the indian inspired mm-hmm. music i'm hearing in that once again though on the second half of the song twilight time when ray thomas sings even more so in this song he sounds exactly like arthur lee from love and the second half of the song yeah sounds just like it could be a love song to me mm-hmm. and it's not too bad i don't care for the first part of the song but i like the second half and the second half has got some decent bass in it I really like the bass line in it, but once again, pretty void of any kind of guitar or rock and roll. But the second half of the song was pretty decent, and I, yeah. I didn't mind it. Yeah, I didn't mind it at all. Yeah, the second half sounds like a psychedelic rock song to me, Yeah, even if you don't hear the psychedelics. Yeah, I don't really hear the psychedelics, <laughs> but I, I guess if I was to pick one that's the most psychedelic on the album, then I guess I would pick this, But mm-hmm. because nothing else even comes close. So that moves us on to the last song on the album, which is another two-parter, and this is you know, broken down. This is called The Night. So you've got the first part, which is Nights in White Satin, which is written and sang by Justin Hayward. I I always thought it was Nights with a K. No. Like Nights uh, wearing a white satin cape over their armor. No, this is like Nights. Like like the the, the nighttime. Yeah, the nighttime. Yeah, and then the second part of the song is called Late Lament Resolvement. And that that was a poetry section written by Graham Edge and Peter Knight, but it's spoken by Mike Pinder. And Mike Pinder's the one that speaks the same section on the opening song yeah. of the album that kind of echoes this. Now, this song is almost seven minutes in combined lengths with the two sections. And most of the times nowadays when you hear the single on the radio, you hear the second section and everything. So they play the whole thing. It was originally issued as a single in 1967. It reached number 19 in the UK originally and 103 in the US. That's when it was first released. But it was re-released in 1972, and it actually reached number two on the Billboard charts, number one in Canada, and number nine in the UK. Did really well. The single versions were actually stripped originally of the late lament sections like Mm -hmm. I was talking earlier, but most of the time when you hear it nowadays, it has that on there. Now, Justin Hayward wrote this song when he was about 19. Pretty simple. It was about a girlfriend that gave him satin bed sheets as a gift. Uh-huh. So that's how he came up with the song titles. So Satin sheets feel nice. They do. The single is certified gold in the U.S. by the RIAA, and it's been covered by a number of people. Um, Nancy Sinatra, Devo, a ton of others have covered it mm-hmm. in different, you know, different ways. What are your thoughts on this song? I think someone's carrying a torch for the one that got away. 
Yeah, this is a great song. Like I said, you know, this was a revelation to me about the nights, but I also have very fond memories of this song. I used to play it at work uh, in order to get a coworker to go home when he wouldn't leave because he hated Moody Blues. Did he hate the Moody Blues or just this song in particular? Uh, this song in particular. Yeah. Yeah, it was this song in particular. And I don't know why, because it's a decent song. It's a great song. It's my favorite on the album. Well, it's my favorite yeah. Moody Blues song by far. I thought it was a really good uh, recap of the introduction and the overture at the end. And then it ends the whole album off with that gong blast. And I'm like, yes, this is <laughs> this is what I've been looking for this whole album. I really enjoyed the song. Well, once again, kind of like Tuesday afternoon, mm -hmm. they, they hit it with this one on yeah. the perfect mix of orchestra and mm -hmm. rock and roll. Yeah, exactly. And this isn't even so much rock and roll. I mean, you do get a really good bass line. That's the thing yeah. that stands out in this thing to me all the way through. I love the bass line. But it's not, like, overcome by the symphony. It in incorporates yeah, the symphony. Yeah, it, it's perfect. Yeah. And I love the Justin Hayward vocal on it. Once yeah. again, the lyrics have imagery that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Just what you want to be, you'll be yeah. in the end. This song I have a lot of history with, so yeah. my dad used this is one he used to play for me all the time. It's still on the radio. I'm sure this is the most played Moody Blues song on the radio to this oh, day still. Absolutely. As it deserves to be. Yeah, because, you know, satin sheets, you'll slip right out of the bed if you roll over. You will. This song is a cautionary tale. Not to fall out of bed. Yeah. So, you know, in the middle, I like when it kind of breaks down. They've got like a kind of a flute solo, and, but the bass is still very good and prominent yeah. at the time. I just love it. I love how they go into, yes, I love you, how I love you, yes, mm -hmm. I love you. I, I love the way they sing that. And then it slows back down and goes back into the orchestration, and then it gets into the late lament portion where Mike Pender does the spoken, you know, bedsetter people sit back and lament another day's useless energy spent, you know, on that whole section that, mm -hmm. like you said, echoes back to the overture, kind of has some of the same words there. Mm -hmm. It's the same voice you can hear in it. You know, the funny thing is when I say some of the music sounds movie-like, Mike Pender's spoken word is kind of a movie type of voice. He's a voice yeah. meant for radio and meant mm -hmm. for movie or something. I, I think he does an excellent job at that. I, I love this song, and I think, like I said, this one and Tuesday Afternoon are put together mm -hmm. really well. Probably what the rest of the album should have been, in my opinion, if they oh, could have sure. done a better job of yeah. mixing rock and roll. You know, it is what it is. And Mike Pender is the British Cecil B. DeMille. Yes, he is. So do you want to get winners and losers? I think so. Winners and losers. Okay, Ty. This, oh boy, this was a tough one to do ratings and uh, winners and losers, I gotta say. This was a tough one to take notes on. It was, because it's so much instrumental. So I'm going with losers. Evening would be my least favorite. And I don't even know if I can break it up between first half and second half. Probably the first half, the sunset. It just, it, it wasn't my gig. I, I, it wasn't my sound. My second loser, going all the way back to the second song on the album, Dawn, is a feeling. It, it just didn't really inspire a lot of notes from me. Not a terrible song, just not rock and roll at all, for sure. So those are my two least favorites. What about you? What are your two least favorites? So we're pretty close to the same. Uh, song two, Dawn, Dawn is a Feeling. That one and the next one, The Morning, Another Morning, those two are my least favorite. You just hate the flute opening. I just don't. 
<laughs> it's just too much orchestration it, for yeah. me. And they didn't integrate it well. And I don't have anything against mm-hmm. orchestration, but we're listening to a rock and roll album here that's yeah. supposed to be mixed. And they mm-hmm. did that well with a couple songs and they, and the rest are just orchestration, you know, and yeah. I just don't think it works. I really don't like side one hardly at all. I could do without anything on mm-hmm. that side. I'm sure that side two would get the most play. Yeah. So yeah. what about what about your favorites? What are your I, two favorites I, on the album? I would bet fifty bucks that you and I are spot on with our favorites. Going with the afternoon and nights in white satin. There you go. Yep. You don't even need to call on me because that nights in white satin is my favorite moody blues song without mm-hmm. a doubt. But those two songs on this album, like we've said a couple times, they did those right. That's what this whole album should have been. Absolutely. And you know if. Especially if they're doing like a concept album, if they're trying to showcase the melting together of the psychedelic rock with uh, symphony and classical instruments, those two songs are, you need more of that. Yeah, it's an interesting take. I, I just don't really care for the album past that. The The overture is good yeah. because it gives a good opening, and I think that's mm-hmm. kind of a fitting thing because yeah. it echoes to how the album's going to end and things, but all the songs in between really don't do a whole lot for me. seems like it needs to be the soundtrack for for a movie or it, like it a really, rock opera. It really yeah. does. Do you want to get to an album rating? Yep, let's rate it. Album rating. Okay, Tyler, so you've listened to the Moody Blues Days of Future Past for the first time. You know, you knew two of the seven songs. The two good ones. The two good ones. So what do you give this album as an album rating? I'm going to apologize to Anonymous from Tempe, Arizona. But at the same time, I do want to thank you for giving us this recommendation. Because I I did enjoy listening to it. And I enjoyed getting an interesting introduction to something very different than we normally do on this podcast. But even so... I'm going to have to give this album a less than five. I'm going with, I'm giving it a four because I think that two songs out of seven just isn't enough to to carry this uh, whole album. What are your thoughts, Justin? Where do you put this one? Well, I'm over here still putting pen to paper trying to decide on yeah. my Well, well While you decide on that, I'm I'm going to explain our rating system uh, for anybody that's a first-time listener. Uh, zero is the worst and if it's a zero we're going to break the record and get rid of it if it's a 10 and that's as high as we go then i have to buy the album (laughs) so you know five it's right there in the middle and for me a four this is just under right in the middle you know i think this one's a tough one because you got seven songs on the album two of them pretty strong Mm -hmm. very strong i I put them on any playlist i have and i Mm -hmm. really like it but i don't think i can give this album as an album any higher than a four and a half yeah you you give me seven songs on this album that are on par with um tuesday afternoon and nights in white satin and this album gets a nine easily maybe even a 10 for me yeah and i it'd be interesting to see that but i just think they missed the mark with most of them as is can't do it but there's a reason those two songs are still playing on the Mm -hmm. you know classic rock radio today because they are excellent songs and you know i'd rate knights in white satin probably Mm -hmm. a 10 out of 10 as a song yeah and i would give tuesday afternoon a good eight out of 10 as a song so you know i really enjoy those songs but this album for me misses the mark on what it should be you know and i don't have anything against orchestration or symphony it's just 
the way it's used here doesn't mm-hmm. seem to really fit for me. It's this concept album that really misses the point with me. You know, whoever is out there that has the ability make this into a rock opera. I want to see the rock opera. Well, we already know who's done the best rock operas ever. Mm -hmm. And they did two of them, and they're excellent. Yes, they are. And that is The Who, and we're going to get to them shortly. But that is the Moody Blues. That is Days of Future Past. If you have a problem with the way we rated it or you think something different, send us an email. Send us any suggestions, comments, complaints to classicvinylpodcast at gmail.com. Reach out to us on Instagram. Reach out to us on Twitter. You know, we're not afraid to mm-hmm. take complaints. We've gotten them before. So, yep. So, Tempe, go ahead and send us an email following up and, you know, tell us where we're wrong or tell us if we're right. But until next time, we'll see you later. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to Classic Vinyl Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Classic Vinyl Podcast for updates and also share us with your music-loving friends.